Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone on the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I got an ultimate biohacker on the podcast, Siem Lund. Siem Lund is an author, speaker, and biohacker from Estonia. He has written many best-selling books like Metabolic Autophagy, Stronger by Stress, and The Immunity Fix, and also posting a lot of things about getting better sleep and maybe also about waking up. Welcome on the podcast, Siem. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, yeah, got to be here. You studied anthropology, right? Yeah, in, uh, in uh, university. How do you look at the state of the world and uh, the state of humans at the moment with everything that's going on in the crazy year 2022, 2020, 2021? Yeah, it's a very uh, interesting time to be alive. And uh, it's, uh, I think it's just, uh, we uh, like, you know, it's these kinds of things, um, crises and uh, pandemics or different natural disasters that are very, really natural parts of uh, existence, or especially human, you know, human life as well. And they happen all the time, basically, over the course of history. Uh, it's just that, like, we tend to be maybe pay more attention to them because of, um, I don't know, like technology or something. Uh, but yeah, like these things aren't like, you know, unnatural. They're not deviant. They're actually quite normal. And uh, yeah, like a lot, I think a lot of the time we just tend to uh, overreact ourselves to um, whatever, maybe, and we kind of hyper-focus on things. Yeah, I'm just curious about biohacking. It's kind of like using your own body, wisdom of the body, food is thy medicine, ancient old wisdom by boosting your immune system. I don't see a lot of being stressed on boosting your immune system right now. How are you looking at this as an anthropologist and someone who's into biohacking? I think it's uh, like like a lot of these, let's say, uh, legislations and uh, or legislative organ, organ organizations and governments they don't want to maybe take the responsibility for the if things go wrong so they don't, they don't want to they're not going to um, recommend something that uh, isn't guaranteed to work uh, so like you know of course taking your care of your immune system is very important and they do like say that you should do it to a certain extent but they don't like emphasize it or they don't put like um, any assurance on it because they aren't or they're like afraid of like you know messing things up or something uh, so that's why they're kind of uh trying to hope for like some vaccines or something uh, because they think that it's going to be more effective and it's going to provide like more more long-term solutions uh, but you know we don't have like the vaccine for the common flu and we don't have vaccines for most of these you know similar infections like influenza or something uh, and even like the spanish flu we don't have a vaccine for that either although that's been around you know or that has been known mm-hmm. about for like, over like 100 years so yeah, like uh, they're just—I think—they're just afraid of um, taking responsibility for their mistakes, and yeah, they don't want to—they don't want the people to come out for with the pitchforks, basically. Yeah, and I read about uh, the—I don't know how many people died with the Spanish flu, maybe forty million or something in like Europe, but the population yeah. was a lot less. Black plague, one in three people. No matter what you think about what's going on. It seems a bit of an overreaction when you look at how many people actually get killed by it historically, right? When we take a look at the Black Plague and other plagues, Spanish flu, even other flus. What is your opinion why the reaction now is completely different than, let's say, in the past with other viruses and and big plagues? Well, um, you know, depends on how you look at it. Like it can be said that... uh 
the world is more like interconnected now, so the kind of potential to spread much faster is uh, greater. So it's, you know that's why they did get from you know China to uh, New York and Europe very fast, and even like you know all continents of the world basically within like weeks or months. So that is one of the issues that it is very like unpredictable. It's very rapid. And people aren't like kind of prepared to um, deal with it. So like the hospitals aren't ready. We don't have like a current proper equipment, and uh, we don't know how to treat it. So yeah, it's, it is natural, of, yeah, and it is necessary to slow down it uh, initially as as much as possible, so that we could you know gather the right information and get the right data. But like like that train has already passed. <laughs> so like it's been it's been far too long. We we should be we should have all the kind of information that we need to make you know the you know minimal effective kind of uh, decisions and uh, yeah i think it's um, it may be like also like the, the conflict of certain interests like it's very politicized uh, people are trying to push their some kind of political agendas with it and uh, especially especially in terms of um trying to root for a certain audience so like there's a specific part of the population wants what's a certain uh, response whereas the other side wants a different response and then the politicians and the governments are just trying to gain the approval of those particular people so it's a very politicized and uh, yeah like it's also easy to uh, let's say um, get other things done uh, with the pandemic so it's like the great reset is an example of that so it's a is a is an excuse of trying to quote unquote re- reset the global economy and uh, change the capitalist system and uh, implement like these different kinds of um, like global warming technologies and uh, restrictions and all those things kind of kind of fly under the radar and kind of sneak it in. So yeah, it's like a Trojan horse a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like um, you know, and I think that in the future there's going to be a lot of this Trojan horse type of things. Like uh, as a result of this pandemic, that you know people aren't going to get, they're not going to be able to travel that easily without a vaccine. Even if we do like um, get over this particular pandemic, the future of traveling is not going to be the same ever again. That there's never going to be like this. Um, unmasked or unvaccinated type of traveling, basically, I think. Yeah, and what I think think is a bit dangerous is that one authority can determine what is the right way to do things, especially when it comes to food, especially when it comes to the body. It's a very innovative science, you know, and there's a lot of research being done. But with the purging of certain voices who go against the norm and the conformity, even though, you know, some things that we have now an opinion about cigarettes, about milk, about fats, you know, it changes all the time that one kind of monopoly could decide like, this is true science, this is fake science. And if you biohack and they don't agree or it doesn't align with certain interests, you're just removed because that's a quack and that's a quack. And they put everybody who has a different perspective in that, oh, that's pseudoscience. Are you also afraid of this or? Yeah, of course, certainly. Like um, there are many things that aren't considered, that, that they don't fit to like the mainstream narrative, uh, but are still can be effective in terms of uh, like your health and things. So like maybe intermittent fasting is an example of that, or like meat consumption is an example of that. And uh, yeah, like uh, all those things can be, you know, they, although any, any, you know, you can achieve a very healthy, you know, outcome uh, on any kind of diet, on any kind of uh, like exercise routine. What matters is like, it's it's a very context dependent thing always. Like uh, what matters is the particular individual and what are the current, like um, other variables. Uh, But with this, like, um, this big like if you have if you're like a government and you have to make a decision of what kind of a diet do you recommend people to follow then you have to not think about it from the perspective of an individual so you have to think about it from the perspective of a collective so you can't make very nuanced points if you're making these recommendations because um 
you're you have, you're forced to kind of think about not only like the that there's this big, big uh, population that you have to take care of, but also like uh, how are you going to be able to do it? So that is why like sometimes you have to think about okay, even though like not only have to think about what what kind of food is healthy, uh, but it also like uh, what kind of food is like sustainable, like what is gonna is going to be the cheapest to produce, uh, what is going to be the easiest to uh, do, and so the thing. So you're not only thinking about it, what is healthy, you're also thinking about like the you know money and politics and those other things. So. Yeah, I worked in healthcare in Belgium for about eight years. And one of the sad things is that they don't invest enough in prevention because then they can show the numbers, right? When you have a kind of symptom, then you can say like, oh, we reduced it. And they always tackle things when there's a symptom or they have to solve a problem. But there could be a lot of things that would be prevented or even changing lifestyle. Most of the illnesses right now are lifestyle illnesses. Even people who die now from Corona, a lot of those are lifestyle related but still the government and people are not investing a lot of uh, focus on prevention, right? Or a healthy lifestyle, which I think is partly what you also focus on. Yeah, yeah, of course, like the prevention is uh, better than any medicine. So if you, if you don't get sick in the first place, then yeah, like uh, it's much cheaper, it's much more uh, healthier and it's uh, yeah, like more productive in general. What do you think is the reason that they're not having all these experts talk in schools, or if you would be in Estonia on like an expert panel of the whole pandemic thing, oh, we have a biohacker who knows how to optimize your body. Oh, we have a Wim Hof breathing expert who can make sure that you make your blood, you know, alkaline and breathe better and calm your thoughts. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? It still is like in the fringes of like self-development junkies, but it's actually very useful, practical advice you could give people. And a lot of these things you could just immediately start implementing or buying in your supermarket or a specialized store or doing the comfort of your own living room yeah well i i maybe the reason have maybe have to do with i don't know like not enough information or yeah i think it's just that people who are usually let's say in the fringes they are not really interested in the politics or something they're just doing it they're just doing it for their own sake so to say they're doing it for themselves and they may not have like the motivation or the desire to uh, start to, to uh, get involved on a, like a bigger scale, so that, that's probably one of the reasons. And and then those spots get filled with people who aren't completely dedicated to uh, the actual science or the ha- actual um, practice of it. So they're just they're there to fill a spot and uh, you know be be there. Most of the things that you do because you're so consistent in what you put out and you use a lot of research, right? You put a lot of quotes there. So a lot of things that you do is like evidence based. Is that sometimes a problem in your niche? Like some people who just make up stuff or make up a fat diet or a fake system and not base it on actual evidence and science? Yeah, yeah. of course, there's always uh, people who are making things up and uh, not backing it up uh, with data. It's becoming like more rare because of just uh, the nature of internet and you, people, people can fact check things themselves. And uh, also there's yeah, like if uh, someone does say something really outrageous then uh, there's always someone who kind of uh, call it calls it out or uh, debunks it so it's a uh, harder to uh, be uh, pseudoscience nowadays uh, but you know of course there's still very a lot of people who are like uh, gullible and uh, don't or naive and don't um, they don't have like the critical thinking or they don't have like the background uh, knowledge about how to question a particular thing uh, so yeah it's, it's always like a nuanced thing so e- even if someone does say something like the best diet uh, for like weight loss is to uh, like lower your insulin and uh, lower your carbs. So okay, yes, maybe that can be a part of the solution, but you always have to think also that 
what would be the other situation where it doesn't where it isn't the case so if you still eat too many calories it doesn't matter how low your insulin is you're still going to gain weight <laughs> so uh, and likewise you can eat like a very low calorie diet but if you have high insulin you can still able to lose weight so it's a new matter of context and it's never this black and white answers it's a more is like a it's more as a question of um, you know if this then that like maybe perhaps those sort of things like uh, i i like to judge an expert or like an influencer based upon how um, assured or how confident they are on their statements. So if they're very like assured or very confident, they're like, yes, no, black and white, uh, meat is good, meat is bad, plants are good, plants are bad, etc. If they're like this very diehard, uh, very confident, then they're actually full of you know nonsense because uh, they clearly, you know, they're trying to just uh, persuade people to do something or to think in a certain way without seeing the nuance and without seeing the context of the situation so and oh and instead like if an expert is saying like yes but maybe perhaps i don't know well look look at the research like very very like uh not sure and very the standard like, it depends answer yeah. right <laughs> yeah it's like a vague like a vague answer because you know you can't give a definite answer online within like a few characters you always have to be very context and nuanced and it always depends on the individual. So I, I see those kind of people who are, they appear to be less confident and less sure of themselves, more uh, reliable and more um, accurate because of the understand the context on the nuanced. Whereas the other are very confident people, are very assured people, uh, they, you know, usually I would look at them, okay, <laughs> I have to actually, I have to actually, you know, challenge my own uh, beliefs about this instead of uh, trying to believe this very confident answer. Because like us humans, we tend to gravitate towards confident people and confident narratives. Like if a, if a leader or some speaker is very confident, mm -hmm. we naturally think that we think that confidence equals competence because of, you know, if you're confident about something, then you must be sure and you must be true. <laughs> Whereas like, that's actually not the case. Like it's a, like an illusion. It's like, you know, the birds with a big feather is like a big tail with a very colorful feathers mm -hmm. and this big, big flushy. They must have strong genes because they yeah. Yeah, it's, it's expose a, it's, themselves it's, so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's an illusion. It's not like the actual case. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just a trick. <laughs> yeah. I was a vegan for like a year and a half and I tried it out and now I'm like, let's say 80% vegan. Some people go into veganism and like, it's almost like a belief, like now I don't have to check my blood or don't have to check like what I get. And I, I checked it. I make sure that my blood was good, but I felt a bit weaker, a bit less empowered. I didn't feel stronger because of veganism. I feel it's a good choice to eat like less meat out of certain virtuous causes or ethics. But then I started introducing like some meat and some fish, certainly like fish and some proteins. And that, that gave me like a balance. There is something about food and that lifestyle that always makes it like an ideology and almost like a religion. People are very protective when they make a certain lifestyle choice. It's like discussing politics, you know, like they get very defensive. Like with, with yeah. veganism, even I, I was, wasn't convincing everyone because I think Lao Tzu said it, those who try to convince don't convince, you know, you best try mm -hmm. to inspire them. And they were so vegangelical and what you should do. And I'm like, hey, if I could inspire someone to eat a bit less meat instead of like going completely vegan, that's fine. I made a little bit of an impact. What is it about people, their food choices that makes it much more like almost religious or ideolog ideological? Well, I think it doesn't apply just to uh, uh, food. It's also like in music, like there's, you know, growing up, there's always, there's always been like some conflict between like metal people and uh, like a trans people, so to say, but they're like op opposing cultures and uh, they don't <laughs> like each other. So I think it's, it's, it's in everything. Like it's in politics and culture. 
in like video games, it's in uh, yeah, like foods and uh, all those things. Uh, so I think it's just the human nature that we want to identify with a particular tribe or a group. And uh, everyone who is not in that tribe is uh, just, you know, the enemy and uh, deplorable or whatnot. So those are the ones we fight. So we tend to find, like, it's, it's a problem because we, it happens if we start to identify ourselves with the tribe or with the group. Like, if we identify ourselves as a vegan, then, like, our entire, you know, narrative, our entire, like, mm-hmm. self-identity is surrounded by, what, like, what vegans do. Yeah, like, we eat plants, we don't eat meats, uh, we don't wear leather you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like all those things, we start to identify ourselves with that group. And uh, we tend to then also want to act in accordance with the beliefs and uh, values of that group. So we start to, even though we we will start to do things uh, that we ourselves wouldn't maybe do, but we would do it in a group because uh, we we consider ourselves to be a part of that group. Uh, So that's how like mob, mobs work as well. Like, uh, like a, one individual will probably never like punch a policeman, <laughs> but if they were like in a riot and then there's the fight, fight starts to break out and then the entire mob, you know, starts fighting and uh, those things. Uh, so yeah, like in, if you were to actually talk with them in person without like the group mentality, then um, that's why like people would get along with, uh, if they're actually met in person, but online, those things get ex- escalated faster and uh, yeah, like just gets into like this tribal uh, conflict. Yeah, that's super interesting. To watch, I think, as a as an anthropologist, that you have this in group out group behavior, and they are the enemies in this polarization. I mean, it's always been there, divide and conquer, one of the most important principles in politics or warfare. Let's say, I feel that the last five years it had only like enhanced of all this tribal behavior and identity politics and polarization. Lack of, I don't like political correctness. I like constructive discourse and using arguments and using principles. And you don't have to agree, but you can understand. But as an anthropologist, like this tribal behavior, this on a big level group behavior, and then on an individual level, like this unique me, my unique consumption, my unique customized iPhone. It's mm-hmm. almost a crazy time where these ancient tribe dynamics are, are taking hold of the social sphere and the individual sphere and our society. Yeah, like because the like social media and these things target these these primal parts of ourselves. They're not they're not targeting like the self-aware and the conscious parts of our brain. They're targeting the primal brain of this uh, dopamine rush and uh, consumerism and uh, yeah, like getting this uh, re- feeling of reward and uh, the fighting thing. So it kind of focuses hyper focuses on those things. So yeah, that, that's why I think that is. And a part of it is also like these companies are taking advantage of it. So they don't, <laughs> they don't want the people to stop fighting. They get, you know, more money. The more people engage with the content uh, on the platforms, the more money they get. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what they don't, they're not really interested in, you know, trying to fix it or make it more user-friendly. Yeah, it's dopamine rush addicted systems that keep us enslaved. It's it and it and it thrives on maybe in the past you got validation or status from a compliment. Now you get it from a like or from a comment. Right. So <laughs> it's it's almost like kind of an addiction. And then still people think like, no, 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 I've thought rationally about this and it's totally common sense, but it's actually a lot of like hormones in their body and irrational and unconscious drives that takes take over. People are a lot more subconscious focus and conscious focus, primal focus, then people actually believe that they are, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I would imagine like 90% of the day, we're all on like autopilots or like we're driven by our subconscious mind that we do 
things are based on our like routines and habits, and we think like the similar thoughts. We eat at the same time. We uh, yeah get the same emotions around the same time. So and very little do we have actually this conscious time where we're you know in the present moment and uh, being fully in control of our kind of behavior and uh, thoughts and emotions. Whereas a lot of times we either like reacting to something uh, or yeah being getting triggered by whatever it may be. I love to see your audience grow on like YouTube. You also have your uh, social media following that you build up. I know you're much into like stoicism. How do you strike the balance between connecting to nature, biohacking, and making use of this social media? It's almost like in the beginning you have that bouncer at the door to you know respond instead of react. But nowadays I have to you know pay him like five times as much because he has to be on active duty all the time. So how do you? As someone who loves stoicism, loves the use of social media, maybe biotracking devices, but also still want to learn to be present and focus, you know, on your own zone of influence. How do you strike that balance, and do you find it challenging? Well, at the moment, I don't find it challenging. Like I, I'm not addicted to social media, and uh, I don't get uh, drawn in by it that easily. So, uh, like I'll, I have like this habit where whenever I do notice that I've spent too much time on social media, then I'll automatically just you know put it away and do something else. Uh, so it is a, like a habit, habitual skill, like a muscle that you develop, that you, the more mindful you are, uh, then the easier it is to notice uh, yourself and uh, get away from it. And you know the way you build up it is with, uh, you, you, you do need to have like, a, let's say like a semi-restrictions initially, like you need to have like some downtime from it and maybe use it only for like, I don't know, 15 to an hour, or like 15 minutes to an hour every day, something like that uh, on at specific times of the day. Because if you make it like ad libidum, basically, then uh, you can get out of control. Like it's with, same with like intuitive eating. If you're not, if you don't have any intuition, basically, or if, you're, <laughs> if your intuition is wrong, then uh, ad libidum eating means that you're going to go obese and diabetic. Uh, so uh, that's why you need to kind of build up your intuition first before you can trust it. Uh, because like, a lot of the time, like our own intuition or like taste buds are also hijacked by like processed food and uh, chemicals. Uh, so like the same with uh, the social media and uh, phones that uh, if your intuition about something is also, you know, m misleading, then uh, you shouldn't trust it. You need to first educate your intuition by things like meditation or journaling. Yeah, like taking nature walks, uh, like, yeah, just uh, practicing any kind of like uh, mindfulness practice. Uh, for me, like I, I've, for me, it's easy to do because like I do writing every day and it's very easy to me to get into the zone and um, that kind of just teaches me to guide my attention and focus very easily like I can just I can control my focus very easily and not get distracted yes kind of making things non-negotiable right so you don't have to use willpower because you're automatically pre-decided what you're going to do when you're going to do it and then you don't have to spend any second thinking what should i do and then deciding because that drains you right yeah yeah like if you do have have to force it then it's gonna be hard and you're gonna eventually break like if you're <laughs> trying to hold back basically then uh, it's gonna eventually explode uh so uh, that's why doing doing things like on a routine basis like you um you do routine basis with meditation you have habits for that or you have uh, routines for your social media or your exercise or whatnot all those things develop this uh like a meta skill that uh, it's a meta skill that is the everything else you do is get better gets better because of it kind of uncovers everything and uh improves your focus and uh, willpower how do you leave room then for because just as a diet sometimes um 
productivity or structuring the day has to do also with your type. If you like intuition, if you like structure, how do you allow flow, spontaneity, intuition, play in your life? Then do you schedule it? <laughs> Not really. Like uh, depends on yeah, like where I'm at. Like if, if I'm in a you know point in time where I need to be productive or I need to have I have a deadline or something that I want to reach, then. Then I'm not going to like you know do it, <laughs> uh, or I'm not going to schedule in some flow or something something like that or creativity because I need to be you know achieve a certain goal. Uh, but at other times, if I'm at a point in time where I've you know I've, you know any immediate project isn't it isn't like very immediate, it's been finished or something, then I'll I'll do how like I'll you know take it slower. I'll uh, yeah I'll just uh, I don't know you know engage in some more more fun activities so yeah like it depends on where i'm at but uh i'm not like you know scheduling it if it happens it happens uh but uh, yeah like i'm not i'm not also like very neurotic about it so like if, if it does happen like then i'll just uh go with it a little bit do you believe in uh, or do you use uh, setting goals or visualization or are you more a routine and habit person and then you just do them and you will inevitably reach the goal what's your system to become consistent and reach a certain point or milestone yeah like if i were to set a goal and then i would i wouldn't like pay attention to it that much i would uh, focus mostly on just the process itself mm -hmm. like uh, just trying to get better at the process and get feedback from the routines that i do and then adjust it based upon like what is needed like um, do i need to change something or some or not I don't have like these very multiple goals. Like I don't have any goals for like, okay, I'm going to want to gain this much muscle by the end mm -hmm. of the month or something. Uh, and I don't want to, and I, I don't set like any goals that um, I have to earn a particular amount of income by the end of the year or something. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm like more focused on the process itself. I do have like bigger goals. Like they're not like short-term goals. They're more like long-term goals of you know years and uh, decades. What's one of your biggest goals or dreams? I do want to, let's say, start or being part of like some sort of a education company type of thing uh, where we teach like, well, currently it is biohacking, but who knows what is going to be in the future. Like maybe where we go past biohacking, we go straight into some like uh, nanotechnology or something. But yeah, uh, like education company about essentially um, human optimization and uh, improvement. Now we're delving into a topic that I'm super passionate about, the impact of technology on our lives. I have a quote that says, the danger is not for robots to become like humans. The danger is for humans to become like robots. How do you look at this who's at the moment focusing on food, on the power of the human body, and then the progressing integration with technology? Are you excited about it? Are you, you know, <laughs> a bit like both sides on it? Are you a bit scared of it? What's your point of view towards it at the moment? We can definitely uh, see the danger in both ways. Like uh, at first, uh, yeah, there's the danger that uh, the robots are going to take over. Or we're going to essentially become slaves in the Matrix type of scenario. But at the same time, there's also the uh, in inevitable fate that uh, if we don't, you know, implement more technology into our lives, and if we don't, you know, become more like robots, that kind of guarantees our own demise as well. Because I think uh, the human species is very fragile, and <laughs> we're living in a very chaotic world. And uh, yeah, like trying to stay human, trying to be this ape on this rock is going to be very, it's not very sustainable it's, uh, or it's essentially guaranteed to fail because like, you know, there's been multiple extinction events on this planet and they're probably going to happen again. So we're like a sitting duck here, basically. And uh, I think uh, technology is one of those ways that is essentially helps us to 
guarantee the uh, survival of the human species and you know even like all conscious life in the in the universe <laughs> like i do think that there is like some other life forms out there but uh, chances are that there isn't so if we are the only let's say conscious human or conscious life form in the universe on this uh, planet then we are like very we're like uh, basically ensuring the survival of all conscious life in the potential world because like if, if we get wiped out then uh, yeah, it's universe can go like dark when you say ape on a rock, uh, <laughs> what is something that you think like we can never give this up as humans because that makes us fundamentally human? When, when I would have to look at a half cyborg and ask like, is he still human? What are some things that you define as an anthropologist that seem lumped as this is, this, this is actually essentially human and this has to be there? Yeah, well... <laughs> I think that's a hard question and uh, like no one has basically answered that. Like there are some things that make us human, like language and social communication and uh, like theory of mind, which is the idea that I think that, yeah, like theory of mind might be one of those things that is currently considered to be uniquely human. Uh, one of the few things like which theory of mind means that you, mm-hmm. you, you're aware that someone else has a mind. So like if, you know, you're, they think that the theory of mind develops around the age of three or something like uh, that the around that time people or the children start to know that so that other person has a mind you similar to yours and they kind of think in a similar way but they're not you they're like a different person they think that uh, chimpanzees have it but uh, they haven't proven yet so yeah like i think people are aware of this that they're like uniquely there themselves and they have like this their own consciousness so the consciousness aspect is also very you know confusing and it's not clear but yeah like the self consciousness is i think uh, the biggest Biggest thing that we are we are aware that we are aware <laughs> uh, that we 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 know that we are this this kind of a ghost basically in a shell that is uh, operating and we can see ourselves from this third person perspective like other animals uh, they have like similar similar types of consciousness but I think it's not as like this meta like mo- probably elephants or dolphins they don't probably know about the star you know the stars and the galaxies and those things. Oh, they're not aware of like time and history, which is another uniquely human um, kind of concept. Well, we... I think some people right now are not really aware of history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but a way also what stoicism is is a kind of defensive philosophy to regulate your emotions to have more peace of mind. What if technology, and I'm challenging your thoughts here, like what if technology creates a kind of equilibrium, like the movie Equilibrium State, where you just regulate your emotions because emotions can create great things, but they can also create like very horrible things. Like what is your opinion about that? If that technology could regulate our emotions? It's like hard to um, know what a, like a AI would think, so to say, like we, th- we try to project our own human motivations onto the AI. So we think that the AI is going to be, become like this warlord who's going to take over and destroy everything because that's what we would do. <laughs> it's the intro it's... and endo, uh, endoskeleton, like also from uh, your intro, right? It's from Terminator, right? Yeah, like, you know, we think that the robots are going to be this very um, warmongering um, thing because that is, you know, uh, how humans act themselves. We, you know, try we project our own emotions, but we we, we have no idea what a super AI would uh, think and uh, well, how it would act. Maybe they would just go away, like uh, who knows? And likewise, like maybe maybe they would, you know, try to control our emotions in a way that make us like self-destruct, or maybe they start to change our emotions in a way that creates like world peace <laughs> or whatnot. So uh, I think like 
there's going to be probably in the future where you can just take some sort of a supplement or pill that changes your emotional state. Like you want to be more focused, you know, there's already like caffeine and modafinil and things. You, you want to get more focused, you take this. You want to feel sleepy, calm to take this. You want to feel like dopamine. You want to you know, feel oxytocin, the love hormone. Uh, then you take this one. There's already like the similar. They're very, like, like, very potent, but there's already out there. And I think, yeah, people are already in the future able to use these things. And uh, yeah, like also some technologies, like um, some wrist straps or something that emit a certain uh, frequency that uh, changes your brain state and uh, affects your emotions that way. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's, a, it's a bit like the clockmaker of God, you know, that he created things like it really comes down. And I know it's deep questions, but it's questions about what is right, what is wrong, what are ethics? It's kind of, you know, on a minimal level, what they do right now with Facebook with purging, what can be said and what can be said and what is allowed and not allowed. It's like, what is humanity, what is not humanity? So you kind of have to program that robot kind of like playing God and saying like, this is a right ethic and this is a wrong ethic. So you get into the religious domain, you know? Yeah, yeah like, uh, yeah, what is right, what is good and what is wrong? And at the moment we would, like if we had like the ability to like eradicate or suffering and all turmoil from the world. But then again, like um, maybe there is like some lessons to be learned from those things. And uh, maybe we'd like... <laughs> Because like already people nowadays, even like they're living in a very comfortable society, they have access to food, they have comforts, they have, you know, social media, playstations and those things, but they're still kind of looking for some struggle. They're like either doing heavy workouts, they're doing CrossFit or doing Spartan games, they're, or like they're arguing with their family members, deliberately trying to fight a conflict uh, because of their board, their board, like they're trying to find this meaning. And a lot of like the vast majority of time from human history, the kind of suffering and struggle has been the meaning. So it's like the uh, the uh, the myth of uh, Sisyphus uh, from ancient Greek that uh, the Sisyphus is pushing this rock up uh, in hell. He's pushing this rock up a hill, and uh, whenever he gets to the top, the rock falls down again, and he has to start over again. So and so it's uh, like this uh, same kind of uh, narrative with the human uh, psyche as well. So we kind of need this small amount of uh, suffering and uh, struggle in order to feel as if it is uh, real or if it is something meaningful. Because if it's like too easy, then it's like we don't find this meaning or this purpose uh, from it. Yeah, and, and Albert Camus had the book, The Myth of Sisyphus, that he says the meaning is in just going through the process and then finding it meaningful. But I also find that sometimes we focus on meaningless things or meaningless struggles because despite the fact that technology is progressing, fulfillment, meaning, happiness is not progressing. Yeah. So what is a meaningful, what is a fulfilling life? That also is a life where you deal with challenges and you learn from it. That's how we learn the most. We're like suffering or hitting the wall and then start reflecting. So sometimes we're just optimizing, you know, on the top of the pyramid. Just, I know that you made a pyramid in the past, like, you know, sleep and food. And at the top is like the vitamins, right? And people <laughs> think that the vitamins is going to completely, you know, make them healthy and make them optimal. So sometimes we're optimizing on the margin, but just the fundamentals of humanity, happiness, meaning, and fulfillment is not there. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, like it's, it is the result of this very comfortable society. So, you know, we have access to everything and... And at the same time, we haven't replaced it with uh, something, you know, with people are still stuck in the uh, rat race, so to say. So they are, we're not like that affluent yet. Uh, and uh, like people are still, you know, financially struggling to a certain extent. And the system isn't equal and the system isn't, uh, you know, working as well as it could. And uh, therefore it's, yeah, know, people are still because of getting depressed and uh, because of that. So yeah, it's, I think it's a bug or something that needs to be fixed uh, 
first. Because you love also Anti-Fragility, right? Which is a book by Nassim Taleb about yeah. anti-fragility. Maybe you can explain the concept a bit, which is not the same as resilience. Yeah, like anti-fragility is uh, the opposite of uh, fragility. So if fragile things break into pieces, then anti-fragile things get stronger from stress and uh, they grow and expand. So uh, yeah, like anti-fragile things are usually, you know, some, some uh, let's say, you know, the human body is anti-fragile. Like we stress it in some aspects, we get stronger uh, physically as well as mentally. And um, even like the economy, economy can be like anti-fragile in some in some time, uh, but other times it can be also very fragile. So if you have like these big bubbles, stock market bubbles, then it's very fragile. Like it's gonna just break into pieces soon. Uh, whereas if something like that has a big, you know, down upside, then that's like an anti-fragile thing. Yeah, and another book by him is like the Black Swan. Certain events that don't happen yeah. a lot, but if they happen, it would have massive consequences, like what Corona is happening right now, the financial system, then maybe yeah. anti-fragility is there for the people on top who just, uh, at the moment, there's a whole GameStop thing where small people on Reddit, they bought things. So, you know, rich people went down in profit and they made profit that, yeah, anti-fragile for the people who benefit from it. But for most people, the system doesn't get stronger. It just get atrophied, atrophied, atrophied and keep on being pushed towards at some point it will maybe collapse you know yeah the uh, we should have a try to build a more anti-fragile uh, society so like currently it's very fragile like yeah we like <laughs> yeah like we have nuclear weapons which is very fragile uh, we have <laughs> we have uh, the global warming which is you know fragile like asteroids we can be hit like an asteroid and even like just the internet and electricity like uh we, the entire world can go out of power um, very easily because of like some solar flare or uh, some I don't know other disaster, and yeah, like we ever just the entire thing like stops working. Like people will die because of not getting access to healthcare, and yeah, people go starving and those things. So it's a very fragile system that we have currently, and uh, yeah, like we should try to build make it more anti fragile. I know you do a lot of research. So I'm also interested about your opinion. What is your opinion about global warming and climate change? Nuance doesn't have to be black and white with the people who talk about the food. How much is because of humans and how much is just a historical cycle or because of sunspots? I don't know if you delved right. into it a lot. Just interested in your opinion based on what you've seen. Uh, well, I think it's both. Like uh, Humans definitely contribute to it quite a lot. Uh, but I think also like if I'm not mistaken, then the temperatures have been as you know high. The average temperatures has been as high in the past already, like in the Middle Ages, I believe. Like the cycles tend to go, and like there's also been the coldest, coldest like winters uh, within the past few decades as well. So it's not like this uh, that is progressive. They're getting hotter, and it's hotter than it's ever been before, and it's about to explode. <laughs> so this is, it's definitely been hotter in the past, and. Uh, this has also been colder in the past, and it's probably gonna, you know, get colder in the future as well, in some time. But yeah, I think do think that it's because it doesn't have to be like a huge change for it to have like a massive negative effect on like, like you know, coastal regions can be wiped out uh, because of even just a little bit of uh, the Arctic um, ice melting and uh, things like that. Things like that. So there's gonna be definitely a lot of uh, damage to the economy and people as a result of that. So uh, we should, you know, we should still want to get some um, like a more sustainable energy source uh, more re regenerative energy source we should do it regardless of whether there would be like a global warming or not we should do it regardless of that because it's a more anti-fragile system it's more sustainable and it's more like uh, yeah more like uh, suitable to the environment so we can you know use the environment you know in a better way 
Uh, at the same time, like also like if we were to go this route of a, where we you know stopped we stopped using all oil immediately, we went all green, then that would be also like a suicide <laughs> because uh, we're not we don't have like where our technology isn't that advanced mm -hmm. to uh, get away with it. Like we wouldn't our like productivity and uh, resourcefulness would drop quite a lot because you know oil is cheap and it's much more effective at the moment than uh, green energy sources. So uh, this uh, like a, you can make the argument that. Uh, like if we if we were to like abuse and exploit the current like you know very bad for the environment fuels gas and um, oils, but we would uh, accelerate the development of a technology with it, and we would reach this green power much faster if we were to exploit the system as much as possible. Then we would reach this green state faster if we were compared to where we would start off with this like uh, less advanced technology of the green power. And we would try to reach that. We would get there much lower because our like you know we start off from a lower footing and we start off from, from less resources and less productivity. So if we were to like, <laughs> I think we should use the you know power we and the, the the energy that we have currently to accelerate this development towards these greener technologies. Because uh, if we went green immediately, then uh, yeah, like we would just uh, become very unproductive basically. Or maybe everything goes in cycles and then we humans are terrible at learning from our mistakes and then we destroy the planet or it goes really bad that we become an interplanetary species and go to another planet and maybe learn from that. And then, you know, your grandchild says like, what happened? Well, back in the planet, humans were like this and we right. did this, you know, and then it's another phase in the evolution to go to other planets. What's your opinion about it? Well, I think we should definitely like that is that that should be like one of the priorities of what we do at the moment. Like we should become uh, interplanetary species as as fast as possible, uh, because yeah, like I said, we're like a sitting duck here basically. Like this is the only known uh, colony mm -hmm. of uh, humans and uh, con like conscious life forms <laughs> that we know of, and uh, yeah, like a uh, you know as as we know, like the Earth itself, even if it's not global warming, then it can be just the I don't know, the sun exploding itself is going to eventually do it. So we should uh, find a way to create at least like a second home base uh, as fast as possible, so to say. And even if it means, you know, abusing the planet a little bit or, you know, causing harm to it and things, then I think it may be justified. Because like, I also think that um, with technology in the future, we can, we can repair basically everything. Like we can create our own planets and we can uh, repair the planets and heal the planets uh, with the technology that we will have in the future. But, you know, in order to reach that technology, then we need to, you know, work a lot and we need to be very resourceful and uh, figure out and become like very, you know, scientific and th things. And then you time travel and come back to the planet with a white rope and a white yeah. orb in your hands. So like I have the omnibus, I have you know, yeah. the secret to save the planet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's how yeah, like interstellar works. <laughs> For people now, like to give them like basic advice, like hey, if you want to boost your immune system, if you want to, with everything that's going on, to make sure that you stay healthy. Besides the basics, like let's say sleep, movement exercise what are some supplements foods things that most people could take that would actually benefit them a lot if you would have to give them advice on the most basic level that would apply to the most people well there are like the key uh, nutrients that you do need for the immune system and uh, most people are getting enough of which would be like vitamin d and magnesium zinc and uh, selenium i think those would be the four big big ones 
And uh, first, you know, how do you get, or you should get your, like your vitamin D status checked, uh, so to say. And the optimal re- reference range for vitamin D is uh, about about like 60 to 70 nanograms per deciliter or 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter, I think. And uh, yeah, that will be the optimal range for that. Uh, less than that is going to drastically increase the risk of or the severity of COVID-19 you know, infections. For magnesium, like most people also need magnesium, not because of the immune system, but also just the other like stress and uh, like insulin resistance and uh, diabetes types of things. So that is important. Like um, like about 50 to 70% of the people aren't getting the RDA, uh, which would be about like 400 to 450 milligrams per per day. And for that, like you probably need to take like some magnesium supplement because most magnesium foods uh, are like low in magnesium or it's depleted because of like soil erosion. With zinc and selenium, like you know, you could take like a zinc supplement, um, but um, taking it too much can also have like some bad effects. So uh, trying to eat more zinc foods, like uh, seafood, tends to be higher, the highest in zinc. And for selenium, like you can get you can get the selenium you need by eating like a few Brazil nuts a day or some legumes and beans and and even like animal foods. What's your opinion as a biohacker towards the, the vaccine and towards like healthy people taking the vaccine to become immune to the virus? Most people are probably end up kind of getting it, like at least a certain per- per percentage. Uh, so to reach this like a herd immunity uh, phenomenon. Whether or not you like need to take it, I, I don't know, but it's gonna at least, or like we don't even know if it's gonna work or if it's gonna work in um, like in the future uh, strains. So it's probably the, the virus itself is gonna probably mutate and uh, change. So we don't know if the, the vaccine is gonna work for that. So we're gonna have to just wait and see. Like, I don't think that you need to go like run out and get it. Like, maybe you do, uh, if you're like, let's say in the less smaller risk group, uh, then you don't need to run out and get it unless you're like really afraid or something. Uh, but the biggest people who should get it would be like you know the the elderly uh, because their own immune system tends to be like less rust or people who have these uh, comorbidities like obesity diabetes uh, hypertension metabolic syndrome uh, so for them i don't think i don't think like the vaccine is going to like kill you or something <laughs> i think it's just going to be the question should be like whether or not it's going to just work or not uh, because yeah i think it's you know safe uh, but i think it's uh, whether or not it's going to work yeah that's that's the biggest yeah, issue yeah I'm on for free choice and people can take it if they want. I'm just using the same logic that we have been using for years. Like you said, the Spanish flu, like we still don't have something against it. HIV, it's also virus. We don't have anything against it. Normally it takes nine, 10 years, 15 years to develop a vaccine. And normally you use it for only the vulnerable people and other people get herd immunity by developing antibodies. So I'm just using the same method as we have been using in reasoning for like years, but it seems that now how they treat it, how they approach it is like different than in the past. That's a bit how I look at it. And I found it strange. Even the WHO changed the definition of like herd immunity on their side, like a month and a month and a half ago. So I think that's just pretty dangerous. And else you know take it and use common yeah. sense but i, well, I just yeah. yeah yeah like i said it's just because they're afraid to take responsibility and they're afraid of people dying so they don't want because there's been like this very huge uproar and uh all this uh you know stories about the virus itself is basically the biggest story in the world uh mm-hmm. for the la- last year and the people are just hyper focused about it and you know they're seeing the numbers sticking and that sort of thing so the the governments feel the pressure from the people and they they, they want to uh, 
not they don't want to be blamed basically so they'll do the more like responsible thing like we we should do the responsible thing of locking things down and uh yeah like even though we do sacrifice the economy and things uh we'll try to prevent the deaths and we'll do the vaccine and those things they're just trying to do the right thing in their in their eyes but they don't yeah like they don't see the um downstream consequences of that and they don't or at least they don't want to acknowledge it <laughs> they're just doing what they're just doing what the pr uh, expects them to do yeah it's yeah you know that that cartwheel problem where people have to decide if people are going to get killed by a train and if they just switch the lever less people can get killed but most people yeah. don't do it because they don't want to be responsible for really killing people even if it's less people but well, it's the same problem. They want to decide that some people should die for, for you know, like a long term or living with it, you know, because they don't want to be personal responsible, even though that may be lifestyle related diseases, which are still one of the biggest, you know, death causes ever, that they don't want to be responsible for it. And I just think is imagine that they would have the same way of treating it when they would talk about lifestyle illness or unhealthy eating or smoking or all these things like you could also save so many lives not discounting the ones that happened by corona but just like a holistic approach and thinking like how can we handle this responsibly and also in the long term becoming more anti-fragile or more robust so that that frustrates yeah. me a little bit the approach of this whole uh crisis yeah, like the vaccine is also like a fragile, uh, fragile approach. So you're using the vaccine, but you're not fixing the root cause of the issue, which is yeah, like the poor health of the entire population and um, that sort of thing, and the like weak ecosystem or, or the fragile uh, infrastructure. So if you fix those things, uh, then um, you know it will be more anti-fragile as a result. One of the mistakes that you say people make is that the biggest cause of death is aging. What do you feel is the biggest cause of uh, death in people? Well, well, we're all going to die in the sense that uh, they just being born. Yeah, life is an incurable <laughs> disease. Yeah, yeah. Just the kind of uh, living the hedonic lifestyle, maybe like, or living the you know living the overnourished lifestyle would be a better way of saying so. Because like just overfeeding and uh, eating like the bad junk food, I think is the biggest just thing that uh, over the course of you know entire lifetime is going to catch up on you and uh, does like accelerate things in terms of aging maybe you can talk a bit about metabolic autophagy or intermittent fasting which is a bit like restricting food and eating less and you become healthier some people will listen like huh what <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the uh, intermittent fasting is a way to like help to achieve like a calorie deficit you know researchers does find that eating a little bit less calories is uh, helps to live longer and slows down the diseases onset of diseases. Uh, intermittent fasting like mimics that, so you don't need to necessarily starve basically to get the same effect. So you can even like studies when they do on mice and some people that eating the same amount of calories, but you do it in a smaller time frame, like achieves a similar result as calorie restriction. And uh, it's also like somewhat co more convenient for a lot of people. So you don't have to, you know, eat several times a day, but you still get to eat like larger meals. So you don't feel as if you're starving uh, yourself. And it's good for like weight loss. It's good for uh, diabetes and uh, metabolic syndrome. It's good for even like the brain helps with uh, the, it protects against like neurodegeneration. That, that's essentially it. Like the intermittent fasting is just eating within a small time frame, like uh, once or twice a day instead of uh, four or six times a day. Is the most basic advice, and sorry to butcher all your teaching, check out this channel where you can check a lot of videos about this. Is it mostly like OMAD one meal a day and then like not eat for like 16 hours or a 16 hour time window, like on the most basic level to explain people how it works? 
the most popular method of doing it is like fasting for 16 hours and you eat within eight hours. So usually it would mean like that you skip breakfast and you eat only lunch and uh, dinner. And let's talk a little bit about coffee. I know you made videos about it and people love coffee. In the end, is it more beneficial or more detrimental? Coffee. You live in a coffee nation. Scandinavians love that coffee, I know. Is yeah. coffee actually a good thing to take in general or is it more like an extra supplement to boost you and give you some extra energy? The research does find that coffee has quite a lot of health benefits and uh, yeah, it improves diabetes. It, it's like protects against liver cancer, Alzheimer's and uh, metabolic syndrome, helps with weight loss, helps with energy like uh, exercise performance. So yeah, it does have like a huge beneficial effect on the body. And, I, and there's like very little to no uh, side effects actually. So like usually pe people who say that there are, it's, that it's bad for you and that it's harmful for you, they, that's not actually like, you know, of course you can yeah, definitely overdose on caffeine and die, uh, but you can, that usually happens if you take like a caffeine supplement or a pill. So it's hard to like overdose on drinking caffeine because yeah, you're just going to explode or you feel, you feel awful uh, doing that. It does maybe uh, like uh, raise your blood pressure if you have like that so uh, blood pressure issues. But uh, for that again, like you would have to drink yeah like maybe three or four cups of coffee a day. If you drink only like one to two cups of coffee a day, then it's uh, fine and it's actually very healthy. And uh, yeah, like usually people get like jittery and anxious and sleeping problems if they drink uh, too much, three or four or five cups, and or if they're like very sensitive to caffeine. So there's also a difference between people. Uh, like genetic difference that uh, some people are fast metabolizers, uh, which means that they burn through it very fast and they, don't, and they don't get any of the negative side effects. And there's other who are slow metabolizers who um, burn through it slower and uh, they stay like awake for longer and, that's, and then they, they can easily overdose on caffeine more easily. So uh, there's some difference between people, but generally it's very quite, quite healthy and not, not harmful. I've been following you for like three years. I think you also were a follower of Elliot Tolls back in the days and he had this non-job community and we started like growing. You build up like a big YouTube following. You have a lot of podcasts. At the end, like tell, tell where people can find out more about the, your social media channels. What have you learned from building your following from being like consistent and building it up and getting better and better guests? Is there anything that you learned from this whole process of putting yourself out there? The biggest thing that I've noticed was that uh, usually people respond the best to like a particular problem that they have or something that they search for. So, you know, there's always different types of trends uh, going on in society or that get more attention than others. Like, you know, uh, like uh, two years ago or something, it was, you know, this autophagy thing, which was when I released my autophagy book. And that's when I saw like the biggest growth as well as a result of that. And even like four years ago, it was like ketosis <laughs> when it was first came around. So I was on that train as well uh, and kind of saw like a good boost uh, from that. Mm -hmm. So, I've, you know, you have to kind of spot the trends a little bit and uh, give people what they want. So to say that people want to get the information about how does it work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to kind of give them what they want in a particular moment. Like nowadays, it's, uh, or let's say like the, over the past year, it's been like the carnivore diet and things. <laughs> people are eating a lot of meat and uh, things. Uh, so it's uh, always, there's different uh, trends going on. And and you can also, all, all, also see that uh, people who are getting the most attention on social media are usually the ones who are on that train, uh, trend train, <laughs> because uh, they're, you know, gaining, gaining a lot. A lot of people are very excited to learn about this particular topic at the moment. And then there's people... Um, providing that topic because they're either an expert on it or they're just 
taking advantage of it. So in in in, in either way, like it's a matter of you know trying to provide like some sort of a service um, uh, to other people uh, that the people want to uh, you know learn from and uh, gain information. For a young guy sitting now, overweight, gaming, smoking a joint, playing video games in his couch, and then he listens to this interview, and you could give like a message for him to get started or what to start with. What advice would you give someone who's a bit at a low point, but they want to start improving their body and their mind? Because you're about body, mind, empowerment. What would be the starting point, you would say? Uh, maybe like uh, setting some or challenging yourself in some way, or taking up some challenge like... Um yeah, like a 30-day weight loss challenge or a 30-day carnivore challenge or something, whatever, maybe like a 30-day meditation challenge. Uh, all the, those things um, just help you to keep more accountable because like initially the biggest hurdle is not being accountable and not, and not uh, being able to change your habits and routines. So if you have like a bigger goal or some uh, challenge, then you're more, more motivated to get up and to get after it. How how was the simulant like twenty years ago? Was you already like a willpower motivated, consistent, productive person, or were there also some lazy elements in you or unfocused elements in you? Well, I wasn't like you know particularly lazy, so to say. Like I've always been somewhat, always like my parents, you know, grew up in a way that yeah, like you know, work hard and that sort of mentality, mm -hmm. and so uh, I've never been like a. Someone who just uh, takes things for granted or something, uh, but may, uh, but I've always been like a more, somewhat of a, like a dreamer or a daydreamer type of person in the past. <laughs> so that's something that that's um, that I'm glad that I changed a little bit. So that instead of being just a dream, daydreamer, I'm also like you know taking action action on those uh, dreams and things. If people want to find out more about biohacking, uh, stoicism, evolution, all your great insights, the project that you're going to do in the future with educating children and future generations, where can they find out more about you and all your great work? Yeah, well, my uh, YouTube channel is Seamland. Uh, my website is seamland.com. And uh, yeah, the other plat platforms are also Seamland. And it is Seamland with two eyes, not one eye. Check yeah. it out. Seamland, awesome to have you on the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And if you're a coach or consultant and you want to scale your online business or maximize your productivity, check out the show notes to find out more about Philip and his coaching programs. Rent over.